Hello, David. Hi, Graham. How's it going tonight? Well, I got a joke. Let's for talk you. about that later. Yeah, go just do the joke. Do the joke. You know what? A burglar stole one of my lights. Your jokes have been increasingly not like questions. They're like scenarios that I need to solve with no information. Well, I should be upset, but I'm delighted. Mm. Mm. You know, that one's too good to not have been sent in by an audience member. Is that, am I, am I right on that? That was sent in by Garrett. You are right. You cracked the case. <laughs> uh, I am not delighted, apparently. Um, <laughs> Garrett, good job. I'm going to give that one a, uh, uh, you know, like a, let's do a solid seven, just because uh, I'm afraid that my, my joke won't reach that. The, the, the highlights, no pun intended, of, of that joke. And so I don't want to be too far behind uh, Garrett's joke. Well, I think that pun was... Absolutely intended, but go ahead with your joke. <laughs> okay. Uh, Graham, last week I, I told a pirate joke, and I'd like to tell you another pirate joke. Okay. What do you call a pirate with both eyes and all his limbs? With both eyes and all his limbs. What? A rookie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. I like that one a lot. I think it does reach the heights what of a sweet joke. I'm also giving that joke a seven. Great work. Oh, well, this is great. But you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Window, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I am David Kern. And I am still Graham Pittman. <laughs> You've been Graham Pittman for a long time. I wonder how I much know. longer that's going to last. So this is Season 3, Episode 8, the 3.8th episode of Withy Window. And our guest this week on the podcast is... Are you going to say who it is? Or? Oh, I was leaving that up to you. Oh, his name is Adam Gidwitz. And it strikes me that if we wanted to be funny about it, we could say Adam Gidwith, just to keep up with the ifs. Gidwith. 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 Yeah. Threeth. Eighth. Gidwith. Gidwith. The wind. Well, Adam Goodwitz is our guest on the podcast this week. He's a really interesting, really fun guy who creates his own really interesting podcast. He's got lots of books and he even has a Netflix TV show. But we're going to talk about that later. Before that, we're going to do snack time and we're going to do book time. And of course, we're going to do lazy words. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to do another uh, round of riddle time where we tell you the answer to last week's riddle and give you a new riddle for this week for you to contemplate. Graham, mm-hmm. we have to tell you, tell people about our sponsor. But before we do that, we probably should just let the people know why we sound like we both have our heads in balloons. And it's because we both have our heads in balloons. No, it is not. Uh, if you hear any um, wheezing, any sneezing, any coughing, any sniffling, <laughs> it is because we are, are in fact both sick. Maybe we have the same strain of whatever sickness it is. I don't know. Uh, because we are not sitting next to each other, nor do we have the capabilities to know that. Sure, we, do, we don't have like the scientific knowledge or tools or resources or know-how to in any way determine whether we both have the same strain of whatever sickness it is. Yeah. We do, however, have very similar symptoms. 
And despite that, we are not in the same place. <laughs> Let's just say we are not above the weather or to the side of the weather. <laughs> Indeed. But we are both under the weather. Graham, I'd like to run a theory by you. Go on. We have eerily similar symptoms, the two of us. And yes. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus or make accusations that are unfounded. You know, we're all innocent until proven guilty in the court of law, but this is not the court of law. This is the Withy Window podcast. And I want to ask you, do you think the bookstore troll has been sabotaging us because we didn't get give him a name? It's an interesting theory. Uh, Can you prove I mean, it wrong? We, we do we do spend a lot of time around a um demonstrably unclean uh creature. True. Uh his hygiene is atrocious. <laughs> he probably has, you know, so many viruses living inside him. Um, like just on the outside of him, honestly. Yeah, on the inside and outside. <laughs> As to the the intentionality question, I feel like he's been more friendly lately. That's true. Than That's true. Ever before. That's so true. I, I think we should we should um, send some goodwill. Okay, uh, so so we're not going to pursue this this uh, accusation. I, I don't think so. I would think there's other smaller troll like beings in our own houses. That very, you know, with runny noses and yes, and, yes. and gross hands that yes. could have given us the that sickness. also have a myriad gross things on their insides and their outsides. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, so, all right. Well, that's fair. Yeah, if we're um, gonna cast cast blame and throw shade, um, we know always where, blame where your it should probably go. <laughs> well, you know who I don't want to throw shade at? I don't want to throw shade at our friends at the Green Writer because they're helping make this podcast possible this month. Graham, are you or is someone you love an aspiring author? If so, then I would recommend that you try the Green Writer course because it is an audacious invitation to writers who aspire to create and share excellent stories. With motivation, inspiration, and instruction, author S.T. Smith invites writers to launch into their writing adventure with confidence and competence. The aim of this course is to become a Green Writer. That is, a writer who is going and growing. Now, here's the thing. Because you listen to this podcast... You can get $10 off the course and you can get three free lessons. So all you have to do is go to greenwriter.sdsmith.com and use the code WITHYWINDLE, W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E to get $10 off the course. Just you know, enter in that little coupon code box and uh, you know, it'll, it'll help you become a better writer. It'll help S.T. Smith know that you listen to this podcast and that you like him. And I, just, I feel like that's, um, you know, that's, that's a great thing all the way around. And uh, it might make Graham feel better if you do that. Yeah, it might. Um, but And I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. The summer sounds like the perfect time to hone and sharpen your writing skills. Are hone and sharpen the same thing? They might be. Um, they're, they're similar-ish, I think. Well, better safe than sorry. You might as well double hone right. I mean, or double If they sharpen. are the same thing, you could still do that. Like just, you know, in fact, in fact here's the thing. The green writer for which you can use the code Windle to get the first three episodes free and the first three uh, lessons free and you can get $10 off will help you both hone and sharpen your writing mm. this summer. So there's a probably a good chance your school year is almost over or is about to be over. And as Graham said, why not do a little work, a little, little school work over the summer? Just kidding. Why not tell some amazing stories over the summer? I feel like this is a win-win for everybody. 
Yeah, take a small break every day or a couple times a week from rolling down the hills and swimming uh, in the swimming pool, swimming in the swimming hole, and building the tree fort, playing baseball uh, to 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 foster your imagination and 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 learn how to tell great stories. My kids have been doing that, and uh, you know, one of my kids is like writing a book. He says, and uh, he wants me to to read it here soon. So he's been he's been telling me that soon he's going to have a draft for me to read. So I'm pretty excited about that. So um, I can tell you that parents love to hear the stories that their kids tell. So you know why not why not dig into that? Okay, Graham. Speaking of digging in, before we get over to our our segment of lazy words, it's snack time. Now we're both kind of feeling under the weather. So mm. our snacks are maybe a little bit muted this week. If snacks could speak, they would be silent. But what do you what do you have in front of you for this week's episode? Of I Nicole? mean, speak for yourself. Does this sound <laughs> muted? Does this sound muted to you? No, that is is because it is gigantic multivitamins <laughs> inside this plastic case. So you're eating I'm gigantic, unmuted. You're just eating multivitamins out of like 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 their candy. I don't know if you're supposed to do that. No, I'm not doing that. But they oh, are. Okay. It is a, like a gigantic green pill, and it's um, not muted. So yeah, it supports my immune system, my bone and brain health. So I don't know if this sickness started in my bones or my brain uh, <laughs> or my immune system. That's multivitamins going to help. Uh, I'm not snacking on sugar because that is no good when you're sick or, or when you're healthy. Uh, or, but, or it's really good when you're sick and really good when you're healthy. No, it just depends it does, on how you look at it. It does not sound good right now. Um, <laughs> but I am snacking on pretzels. Oh, We haven't talked about pretzels no, on I'm this pre- podcast. I'm a pretzel I, fan. I think they're an underrated snack. They are. You know what? I've got pretzels in the house. And when we're done here, I might put on some basketball or something and I might, uh, I might chat out on some pretzels. That's a great idea. So, like, my favorite pretzel is the pretzel from our pretzel shop here yep. in Concord, North Carolina, which is a very soft, very buttery. Yep. Shout out to not just Frank's. I do not have that in front of me, which is sad because I love those pretzels so much. Come on, not just Frank's. I will, um, I will take all the gluten into my gullet that they can give me. Uh, that's a tagline they can use, actually, now. I'll give that to him for free. All the gluten your gut can hold. <laughs> but so I have pretzel sticks from Snyder's that I'm mm. munching on. Yep. I also like like the little hard pretzel knots or like pretzel, uh, I don't even know what you would call them, like chunks. <laughs> Almost yeah. like this kind of thing you would get in a Gardetto. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gardettos are good. Yep. So I'm doing that and I'm also drinking some tea. I've been getting back into tea lately. I really like tea, but I find myself drinking coffee a lot. So I am drinking some Genmei Cha tea, which is a green tea from Japan, which has little roasted uh, rice in it. So it's like green tea and it kind of tastes like popcorn at the same time. It's delicious. Fun, fun fact about Graham that all the kids will think is amazing. And you should all ask your parents about this. Graham likes a tea called gunpowder tea. Oh, yes, I do. Very and, much. And you should, you should ask your parents about gunpowder tea. And you should say, no, that guy, no, that go one further. Likes, likes, to list, likes to drink gunpowder. Yes. <laughs> ask your parents, tell your parents that, and then tell your parents to go find it and buy it. And then you can all <laughs> drink it. You could, all, you could buy all sorts of different weird teas and drink them and, ha- and have like a rating competition. Or like, uh, there's so many good things you can do because there's so many varieties. But gunpowder is really good. So Graham, I have 
an assortment of medicinal things in front of me as well. I also, I have to admit, I was at the, the CVS getting some medicine and I got, well, I got one thing that I'm saving for a future episode, a special episode, but I did get mm. some junior mints because junior mints, they, um, I like the minty stuff because it helps open up my sinuses. Uh huh. And, so, and you couldn't yeah. have gotten like a cough drop. You had to get, no, the, I did. I got cough drops. I just also had to got get the, mints. Yeah. They're the, right here. You had to get the mint, uh, yeah. liquid inside chocolate. Right. Yes. To I'm going to open up your sinuses. myself to three. Three total junior mints. You know what? Sometimes three when you're not boxes? feeling well, you just want some comfort food. No, three junior mints. See? Like they're little Moncala pieces. One, two, <laughs> three. Three junior mints. That's what I'm limiting myself to during this episode. And then I've got my cough drops and my other stuff. So, you know, a little comfort food while I, ha- I have to endure the, re- the slings and arrows of this podcast with you. <laughs> it just struck me. You could play games with candy. Like you just held up junior mints, which are like black discs and if you got some white chocolate covered raisins you could play like othello with that (laughs) oh true true you could use um i'm sure you could use like um uh uh, sour patch kids the little people (laughs) for chess (laughs) yeah and then the winner gets to take all the pieces and eat them well except that everyone's been touching them but you know if you want to eat them i suppose you can True. I think you have to have a separate package for the winner. Is that why the last time we played Sour Patch Kids Chess and we were all touching the pieces and then we all ate them? That might be why we're sick. Now I'm thinking about <laughs> You know what? Um, let's, uh, let's move on to our next segment. Lazy words. All right. Like David so lazily said... It is now time for the Lazy Words segment. Lazy Words. Where we propose a lazy word and seek to correct it or source corrections uh, from our listeners. So last week, the lazy word we proposed was tie. (laughs) Yeah, like the thing you put around your neck. The thing you put around your neck and tie we've all collectively decided is called the tie. Yeah, Um, And we're not okay with that. Yeah, that seems lazy. It just seems it's just lazy. So Garrett thinks it should be called Twisty Neck Knot. <laughs> uh, Evan and Lainey think necktie should be called Neck Tail, <laughs> which is pretty good. Or Leg Pointer, probably because it has like a chevron, an arrow at the bottom pointing down. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rhiannon thinks it should be called Pattern Nice Tea. <laughs> or maybe okay. that's nice tie pattern nice tie pattern nice tea uh joseph thinks it should be called wardrobe completer <laughs> uh isaac thinks suit fastener or party handsome rope party done done party handsome rope <laughs> you know what? i'm gonna be going to a wedding suit i think we're both going and i'm definitely gonna be going around being like that is a super nice party party uh what is it? party handsome rope that you're wearing there and party handsome rope. when our friend tim's getting married i'm gonna be like tim Really nice party handsome rope you got going on. And he'll know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, obviously. Tim. Right. Yeah. Uh, Isaac and Charlotte think it should be called fancy neck loop. That's a good one, too. Uh, Lucy thinks neck jewelry. Anna thinks man's necklace. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. Uh, their mom thinks neck decor. Okay. Uh, nice. Torin thinks it should be called a snazzy wraparound. <laughs> you know, I might have to think about calling this when I go up to Tim, like, 
Nice snazzy. You know, what if we just do each of these and see which one hits at the wedding? So like different people yes. will say nice snazzy, nice snazzy. What does he say? Wrap around. Snazzy wrap around. Yeah. Nice party mm-hmm. handsome rope. Yeah, we'll test it out and see what happens. We this is we'll do an experiment. I like there we this. Go. Perfect. Uh another Garrett, Garrett number two, uh <laughs> suggests fancy Nancy. <laughs> And Caleb, See, that's the great thing. You don't have to know why. No. And uh, um, we're probably not supposed to say our favorites. Uh, Caleb has my favorite one here. He thinks it should be called Business Neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to put yep. on my business neck. Yep, yep. And yeah, tomorrow, you have, I think you might have a meeting tomorrow. So tomorrow it's like... You can wear a t-shirt and you put that biz- you put that snazzy wrap around and all of a sudden you got a business neck. Yeah. It doesn't even just, matter yeah. what you're wearing with it. As soon it's as you all, put that snazzy wrap around on, you got a business neck. It's all business now. Well, those are all really fun. Those are all really great. Graham, do we have a lazy word for this week? Well, didn't didn't this week's lazy words come from your kids? Oh yeah, that's right. They did. That's it. Uh, yep, they did. Okay. So my kids suggested, I'm sure other kids have probably thought of these too. And they're they're pretty good, and and they're truly lazy. You know that you know how you can go out and you might pick fruit, and they come mm. from a bush, and they're blue, and they're a berry. And so we've just decided, let's just call that delicious thing that grows on that bush over there a blueberry because it's blue. And then here's the thing: there's another berry that's also delicious and also grows on a bush, and it's just a different color. And so we thought. Eh, let's just call that one a blackberry. So blackberry and blueberry. But here's what's so mm. what's so weird about this. There are other berries that don't have lazy words. Strawberry is not a lazy word. I mean, it's a berry, but it doesn't just say eh, red berry. Same with yeah, raspberry. Yeah. So the, the, we, we've, we've righted the wrong of those other berries, but blueberry and blackberry, we just continued to let the lazy word stand and, and I won't stand for it anymore. But also <laughs> blueberries and blackberries are delicious and they deserve better. They absolutely do. Do we want to workshop some new names? I I'm, uh, I love, love, love both of those berries very much. Yeah. I think blueberry might be one of my like favorite fruits. I would try that. Spheres of joy, maybe. Spheres of joy. <laughs> I like that. What about uh, nature's gushers? No. Already better than than blueberries and blackberries. And then blackberries have that little bit of sour patch, sour, right? So it comes from a patch of bushes, right? So sour patch berry. Or what about patch of black hole? It's, it's still better than blackberry. I don't even know what that word means. I don't even know what the letters are in it. Well, it means the um, blackberry. Oh, well, right. But I mean, I, mean, I couldn't put all the letters <laughs> together is what I'm saying. And it's still patch better than black blackberry. Hole. So, okay. So the kids, we, we need the kids to, we need to workshop this, right? So the kids should send in their their suggestions for for better words for the items that are the delicious spheres of joy that are blueberries and blackberries. And Graham, how can they send in their suggestions? Well, they should email those in to podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Well, kids, you heard the man. Get to work. And we'll be back in a second for book time. It's book time, which means we're going to talk about three chapters from The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. We're going to talk about chapters 15, 16, and 17, or as we say here in the podcast, 
15, 16, <laughs> <laughs> Graham, why don't you do a quick summary for the kids who maybe, you know, maybe they finished the book a little bit ago. There are a few chapters ahead of it or, you know, something like that. Just do a quick summary of what happened in these particular chapters. And then I have a, I have a question for you that we need to, uh, we need to contemplate. Okay, so chapter 15 is called This Way to Infinity. Uh, that's where they go to um, infinity. Chapter 16 is called A Very Dirty Bird. That's where they find a very dirty bird. Chapter 17 is called Unwelcoming Committee, um, where they find an unwelcoming committee. You know, I really should have, after the second one, I really should have known what was going to come there on the third one. <laughs> yes, yes, you should have. Okay, so um, in This Way to Infinity, uh, the mathematician... Uh, takes them into his kind of like study or workshop, uh, which is pretty cool, and feeds them some subtra- sub- subtraction stew, which makes them hungrier the more they eat it, uh, which is a very clever and funny uh, device going on there. And there's there's some more nonsense that happens with the math magician there. Uh, but then Milo uh, wants to travel to infinity. Um, well, why does he want to do this? Who knows? Uh, to get to whatever's at the end of it. Um, so he tries to do that, and he tries by trying to ascend this infinite staircase uh, because the math magician says, just follow that forever and then take a left. And then so on his journey, he meets uh, 0.58 of a person, of a boy. Yeah, the boy, yeah. Um, and so they go into this whole thing about averages. Uh, and averages are couple, imaginary. Yes, and at one point it says... This all sounded terribly confusing to Milo, and I was right there with Milo. So, so there's just there's just kind of more nonsense there. And then uh, he goes back to the mathematician and tries to reason with him to bring rhyme and reason back, uh, because Milo's getting a little tired of the nonsense as well. Uh, and he eventually tricks <laughs> yeah, I like the mathematician that. I like that, part, that he's kind of just like fed up with everything. Yep. So he eventually tricks the mathematician. And the mathematician uh, sends them on their way to the kingdoms of wisdom. But first they have to go through the forbidding mountains of ignorance. Where they run into the demons. They do. They run into some very silly creatures. Um, <laughs> which the first one is the ever-present word snatcher, who is making like 18 puns a minute. Uh, yeah, it's a little so bit much. I, I just called him the dad bird. <laughs> because <laughs> he was making so many annoying dad jokes. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Uh, he, but he's not from the Mountains of Ignorance. He's from a place called Context. He's just kind mm. of visiting the mountains right there. Uh, and then uh, they come across a, kind of a creepy man who sets them to doing very mundane tasks. And his name is the Terrible Trivium. <laughs> and they do these mundane tasks for a while until they realize... These are so un- unimportant that they're just going to stop. He's trying to convince that he's trying to get them to waste time. Yes. He's a time waster. Uh, and then they run into a couple other creatures. Um, one that's uh, concerned with insincerity and then a gelatinous giant. Um, <laughs> who, who, he, who becomes the shape of whatever is nearby, basically. Right. And is, and is very scared of ideas. Right. And uh, so they eventually outmaneuver and uh, navigate through these creatures and continue on their way. And that's how we end these chapters. Okay, Graham, I have a question that I was thinking about. Math magician, right? Yes. He is, well, he's super good at math. And he uses math and all these convoluted 
disorienting sorts of way for our for our hero in the book, for Milo. So then that got me thinking, if you could be a magician of anything, what would you choose? He's a math magician. You can't say magic magician because that's what a magician already is. But if you could be any kind of magician of some skill or activity, what would you choose? Would you choose podcasting magician? <laughs> Pod magician? I, Hockey okay. magician? So... I was just trying to think of words that rhymed with math to continue on with with that line of thinking. What about a laugh a magician? A laugh oh yeah, laugh magician. Yeah. That's the answer. I, I'd probably. like to think on our best days, you and I sometimes can be laugh a magicians. We 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 occasionally just get get to the edge of we get close. Laugh a magician. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think they what call about it you? A, uh, don't they call a laugh a magician a comedian? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that they do. Uh, what would you choose? You know, I was thinking about this for a while and I thought it could, you could choose something serious like dad magician. Make, be the uh. most skilled dad. But uh, who cares about that? Um, then I thought, <laughs> I thought you could be, you know, you know what would be a really good skill is to be a food magician, like a chef magician. Because Ooh. if you're a super good, if you're a magician of food, which I suppose some people kind of are, then... You'd never starve. You'd be able to host great dinners. You'd be able to help a lot of people. And did I say that you would never starve? I think that's important. So if you become like the chef a magician and I'm the laugh a magician, we can throw the greatest dinner parties. Like people will leave those dinner parties full and happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it'd be like the opposite of in the book where Milo, he eats and the more he eats, the less, the more hungry he is. Isn't that how it goes? Yes. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll be like the opposite of that where people will leave perfectly satisfied. <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, that was the greatest night of my life. I ate the greatest <laughs> food and I heard the greatest jokes. And you know what? We could do the first few for free, but then we start charging. That's true. That's true. Yeah, this is a this is a get rich quick scheme. It's exactly. <laughs> Maybe there's a way to make it a pyramid scheme too. <laughs> Before we get uh, on to our conversation with Adam Gidwitz, is there anything else that you want to mention about this book? Like, we got three chapters left. Next week, we're going to finish it. What did you enjoy in this section? What are you going to be looking forward to? Um, or what is a joke or a pun in this section that you particularly liked? If you want to just do that, that's a that's a, you know that's a good one as well. Because the puns are coming a mile a minute, if you will. So I liked it when the 0.58 boy chimes in and says, infinity is a dreadfully poor place. They can never manage to make ends meet. (laughs) That's a good one, yeah. I thought that was really good. Um, I liked when Milo got confused and was like kind of fed up uh, with everything. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if the kids that are reading kind of feel that. Because there's an, ex- you know, after a while, the all the puns and all the jokes, they're flowing so fast, it's hard to keep up. And I wonder if sometimes that is how the kids feel. Like, I wonder if that's mm. a purpose to make you feel a little disoriented as we're getting towards the end of the book, so that when you get into the final three chapters, that resolution is kind of more meaningful. Yes. And I also like that the mathematician uh, gives Milo his own magic staff, which is a pencil. Mm. I think there's a lot of meaning there. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets to use it uh, to, do a magic basically do some magic later i like that when the word snatcher who i'm just going to call the dad bird um is making all his puns and he starts to fly away and milo shouts at him wait 
And he says, 34 pounds. <laughs> Just tell My favorite one. We'll do the, after this one, let's move on to our, to our guest here. But they're talking to the boy who's 0.58 of a person. And he says, every average family has 2.58 children. So I always have someone to play with. Besides, each family also has an average of 1.3 automobiles. And since I'm the only one who can drive three-tenths of a car, I get to use it all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but averages aren't real, objected Milo. They're just imaginary. Well, that may be so, he agreed, but they're also very useful at times. For instance, if you didn't have any money at all, but you happen to be with four other people who had $10 a piece, then you'd each have an average of $8. Isn't that right? I guess so, said Milo weakly. So you can see Milo's just sort of like, this is silly. What is going guess. on? Yeah. And one, one kind of serious passage that I really liked was the um, no-face man, uh, terrible <laughs> trivium, when he assigns them all his, th- those useless tasks. Yeah, those worthless jobs. Uh, and they, uh, Milo starts to kind of crack a little bit and says, why, are we, um, why do we do only unimportant things? Asked Milo, who suddenly remembered how much time he spent each day doing them. Uh, and then the man says, think of all the trouble it saves. If you only do the easy and useless jobs, you'll never have to worry about the important ones, which are so difficult. You just won't have the time, for there's always something to do to keep you from what you really should be doing. And if it weren't for that dreadful magic staff, you'd never know how much time you were wasting. Mm. Just leave it there. Yeah, that's a good one for us to think about. So while you're thinking about that, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back in just a moment for our conversation with uh, Adam Gidwitz. It's time for our conversation with the great Adam Gidwitz. Adam, Adam Gidwitz on Withy Windle. Adam is the author of several best-selling children's books, such as A Tale Dark and Grim, In a Glass Grimly, and The Grim Conclusion. He also is the author of a book for which he won the Newbery Honor. It's called The Inquisitor's Tale, or The Three Magical Children and Their Holy Dog. And then he also is the uh, the, the co-producer the, of an animated miniseries on Netflix called A Tale Dark and Grim, based on his book, A Tale Dark and Grim. And of course, he also is the host of a podcast that you and your son really like, right? And my kids love it too. It's called Grim Grimmer Grimmest. And all of his work, uh, well, most of his work has to do with fairy tales. So we talk about fairy tales quite a bit. We do a quiz. We talk about his favorite foods and all the usual stuff that you would expect from a weird conversation on Withy Windle. Graham, on a scale of 17,942 and one, what would you say this, this interview ranks? I would rank this interview as a one. Oh, because one's the good ranking in this time? Yeah, I inverted it. Oh, okay, I see, okay. One is the best, it's one. Uh, I see, I see. <laughs> which, is probably, <laughs> which is probably for the best because I don't think either of us remember what the actual number is that I just said. No. All right, with that, let's get it over to our conversation with Adam. We had a great time. We hope you have a great time and we'll see you on the other side for Riddle Time. All right, we're here with Adam Gidwitz. I guess we have to be. Um, Adam, thanks for coming on, I guess. I mean, wow. I, I felt so welcome right before that. <laughs> what was that, David? Oh, oh, sorry. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to pretend that I'm happy. Um, I'll pretend too if you do. We can both pretend. Graham, should we? You think we should? We've only been trying to get Adam to come on for like three seasons now. And we're like, I was so excited for a while. Uh, and it took so long. And, you were, you're no, fainting. I'm just kidding. You're fainting. Just, I, I don't. Here's the thing I'm doing this because I don't want Adam to think. To, to, to know how excited we are to have him on the podcast. Oh, I see. All right, Adam, continue. Seriously, Adam, this is, this is very special. This is, we're very excited. Thank you for coming on. Just ignore the fact that I was trying to um, not give away how excited I am. 
Ignored. I'm very right. grateful to be here. <laughs> we have a ton of questions from kids, but we have to start with the same question that we always begin with. We decided after the first episode that we could never ask a question more important than this. I think it came from Aiden. And here it is. Are you ready? Yes. Cheetos or Doritos? Oh, Doritos. Without uh, question? I, definitely Doritos. Um, and without question, I think Cool Ranch. I do love Cheetos, but for some reason they make, I just, I eat so many of them that I feel really sick. Um, <laughs> and also I think that the Dorito, the Cheeto cheese is harder to get off your fingers. So it's like your fingers are orange forever. Whereas Doritos, you can wash away your guilt like fairly easily. Whereas the Cheetos is like, it's like um, if you rob a bank, I don't know if you guys have ever robbed a bank before, but when you rob a bank... Well, we uh, don't talk about it on, on oh, the podcast. I'm oh, oh, sorry. Oops. Well, anyway, if you were ever to rob a bank, but I'm sure yeah. you never have, right, when right. you get the money, uh, they like put dye canisters in it and it explodes mm-hmm. on you and then you can't mm-hmm. get it off and then the police know who you are. Yeah. And Cheetos is yeah. just like that. It's like evidence that you just ate Cheetos for a month. So over the course of this season, we've had guests come on who have told us that they love Cheetos, but because it's it's um, bad for artists, the Cheeto dust gets all over their artwork. <laughs> they they use chopsticks. More than no one way. person told us this this season that they use chopsticks to eat Cheetos. Well, maybe so, Cheetos has just been resurrected in my life. There it's you go. <laughs> probably a bad thing, but I'm so glad to know it. I believe they call that a life hack, David. Yeah. <laughs> But I like this answer. You can't, you can't like clandestinely eat Cheetos. Everybody's going to mm. know because of the dust. So Doritos makes more sense. Um, they should start marketing cheat sticks, right? Because it's like Cheeto chopsticks, cheat sticks, and it's also a life hack. I feel like yeah, mm. that pun sounded better in my head. We're solving a lot of problems here. Though. Like already we're solving problems for the world. Adam, are you a, in general, someone who prefers sweet food or savory food? savory food especially for breakfast um a lot of people like the you know the pancakes and the waffles and the syrup um but that just makes me want to fall asleep so (laughs) i'm always going for the savory food and maybe it was um that feeling was influenced by my time as a teacher so Mm -hmm. i was a teacher first grade and second grade as well as older grades but during those lower elementary years we would always have like once a month maybe we would do breakfast for lunch you guys know what that is where like in the cafeteria, they would serve like waffles and, and yeah, syrup yeah. or whatever. And so when you're a teacher and they do breakfast for lunch, first of all, everything is sticky. Mm. You have to clean up this like no thanks. sticky cafeteria. And then the kids have this sugar high for about an hour after lunch. And then they just crash so hard that we always had at least three children like weeping by the end <laughs> of the school day. Um, so uh, I think that this the sweet thing, I might have liked it when I was younger, but uh, breakfast for lunch yeah. just ruined that for me. That makes a lot of sense to me, yeah. actually. I just had somebody come up to me um, <laughs> that was talking about how they read a study about how sugar actually doesn't affect children as much as everybody says it does. And I just <laughs> stared at them until they <laughs> walked away. <laughs> that is the only right response. <laughs> Uh, I yeah, remember yeah. the first time my daughter had uh, sugar. We had kept like processed sugar away from her for her first year. And then she was, of course, with one of her grandmothers. And uh, my wife is Italian. They have a big Italian family. And they were cannoli on the mm. table. Mm. And she took like a big finger full of um, cannoli cream and just shoved it into our daughter's mouth. And I remember watch, watching my daughter's face like as her eyes lit up. And then 
she like started toddling around the room and then she started dancing this insane dance I'd never seen before. And then she literally <laughs> fell on the ground and her whole body was shaking and then she <laughs> fell still. So th- that's what I say to the person who told you about that study. <laughs> yeah. You need to have a little video of that and you can just show <laughs> yeah, it to just, any detractors. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like what happens after, is that like after breakfast for lunch? In your yeah, classroom? that's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yes. Okay. Now if you're eating sweet food though, are you a co- do you prefer cookies or cake? Uh, cookies. Uh, I do like both. I mean, it's hard to choose on that one, but I'm going to go with cookies. I like the varieties of textures that you can get with cookies. A really mm. good oatmeal raisin, obviously chocolate chip with walnut. All mm. these things can be, oh, a chocolate cookie with peanut butter chips. All of these can be amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, yeah, I'm going to go with cookies, but you know, if you ask me tomorrow, I might go back to cake. Adam, I like how you led with oatmeal raisin. That's a bold choice. It's not my favorite, but it is underappreciated, especially yeah. if you get a nice soft one. And it seems mm. to be kind of top of mind for you. Okay, I did have an oatmeal raisin cookie. Yesterday. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have some other food questions that the kids sent in. But before we get into the rest of these questions, we want to give you a chance to kind of uh, talk about your work, because you have a, a wide array of things that you do. What, what are you working on currently? What's the series that right, that right now is kind of most occupying you? And just anything you want to say that like the kids to know Adam Gidwitz, they have to know this about your work. Okay. Well, I think the thing to know about my work is I've got three very different series, you might call them, uh, though they're not all series. And if you like a different kind of thing, you might like a different series. So for example, the first thing I ever did, and a lot of my time is occupied by retelling Grimm's fairy tales. And a lot of people think fairy tales are like cute and sweet stories for little kids. Mm-hmm. But if you know the real Grimm fairy tales, that you, you know that they are not cute and not sweet at all. The real Grimm fairy tales are very dark. They can be very mm-hmm. scary. They can be gruesome. They're often, they're always, almost always super weird. And I love the weirdest stories and also the darkest stories. So my book, A Tale Dark and Grim, and its two companions are about those. And I've got that podcast, Grim, Grim, or Grimmest. And I helped make a Netflix series about A Tale Dark and Grim. So like one part of my life is about weird and dark and funny fairy tales. And one of the things I'm working on right now is I have just started to try to adapt those podcast fairy tale episodes into graphic novels, which is oh, super wow. fun and like a new thing for me to do. So I just wrote a script for a graphic novel called Hans, My Hedgehog. Hans, My Hedgehog <laughs> is one of my favorite Grimm stories. It's super weird. It's about a boy who's half boy and half hedgehog. Mm. So like, that's one big part of who you, what you should know about Adam Gidwitz is like weird fairy tales. My most recent series is called the Unicorn Rescue Society, and it's about two kids who travel around the world rescuing mythical creatures from danger. Um, And that is more of like a fast, funny adventure comedy series. Um, And I co-wrote it with authors from the cultures that the Unicorn Rescue Society visits. We had this really awesome, fun collaboration where, like, I wrote with Joseph Bruchak, a Native American author about Sasquatch, uh, which is, you know, or Bigfoot. Uh, or David Bowles, a Mexican-American author about chupacabras. Um, and mm-hmm. so um, that's a super fun series, usually for like the second grade through fourth grade set. And I really like that. And then the last thing that you should know is that I wrote a book called The Inquisitor's Tale, which is takes place in the Middle Ages and is about three magical ch- children and a holy dog. And it's a big epic adventure. Mm. Okay, that was so, like everything. Was that too much? That was too much. No, no, that was great. It, okay. But 
How do you find time to do any of them when you're doing all of these things? That is a good question. You know, I've been learning something recently about myself. I've never really talked about it in public. So congratulations. You asked the right question at the right time. Here we go. <laughs> um, so what I have talked about in public is that when I was a kid, I had a lot of trouble in school. I got in trouble all the time because I couldn't pay attention. I couldn't, um, I wasn't very good at listening to my teachers. It was um, all that breakfast for lunch. It was all that breakfast for lunch. No, even without breakfast for lunch, I was, um, they called me like a space cadet. And only recently have I realized, uh, somebody suggested this to me, somebody with like a psychological background. They were like, did you ever get diagnosed with ADD, with attention deficit disorder? And I said, no. And then they kind of gave me a, a look like, hmm, like maybe you should have been. <laughs> And, um, you know, I think one of the, I don't really love the term ADD because the disorder makes it seem like there's something wrong with you. I have a lot of energy and I like to pay attention to things that deeply engage me. And if I have finished my work on a project, maybe I've worked for two hours on it and I just can't concentrate on, on it any longer. I'm exhausted. I don't want to be idle for more than half an hour or so before I need to start thinking about something else. And that got me in trouble in school, but now it really helps me. Hmm. So it's not that I have attention deficit disorder, but maybe like I have an attention superpower where I can focus <laughs> really hard on a lot of different things over the course of a day. And that, hmm. that makes me feel like I'm engaged my whole life. So kids, if you're listening and people are like, you have an attention problem, you're, you can just say like, you just haven't seen what my attention can do yet. <laughs> You haven't seen the superpower part yet. Exactly. We're harnessing it. Yes. Yeah. And enjoying it, for, you know, finally, after a lot of years <laughs> of kind of suffering from it. Graham, what do you say? We got a ton of questions. I think we probably should dig into these because otherwise we're going to leave some kids hanging. All right. So, Adam, Leah wants to know, what inspired you to use fairy tales in your stories and why those fairy tales? Okay. So, I was a teacher, like I mentioned. I taught first grade, second grade, fifth grade and then some high school. One day I got a phone call from my school and they asked me if I'd be willing to be a substitute librarian for a day. And I was like, yes, because librarian is one of the best jobs I can imagine. You can hang out with kids and tell stories that you liked kids. So I said, yes. They said I would be telling stories to second graders. I said, no problem. They said, tell them any story you want. I said, great. <laughs> so I went home and I was looking around my shelf for a good story to read to second graders. And I came across my big book of Grimm's fairy tales. Now, I had never read this book. So I looked at it and I thought, oh, fairy tales. Those are perfect for little kids. <laughs> so I opened it up to a story called Faithful Johannes. And in the story, Faithful Johannes, um, uh, spoiler alert and also like a uh, scary alert, two <laughs> children get their heads cut off by their parents. They get put back on again, so they're totally fine. I promise. The kids are fine. But I read that and I was like, uh, can I read this to second graders? Will I get fired? And then I thought, let's find out. <laughs> so I brought the book in and I started reading it to these kids. This is all true. And as I was reading it, the kids started to get very nervous. Um, so I would make jokes to calm them down or I warned them when something scary or terrifying was about to happen. And I think I did a pretty good job because by the end of the story, I looked up and every kid had the same expression on their face. Now, kids, you're not going to be able to see my expression. So um, maybe, maybe you guys, David and Graham, you could just like, describe what my face looked like. So uh, I finished the story. I looked up and every kid looked like this, like, 
<laughs> Could you guys describe that? Um, it, it looked uh, gravity was at work. Uh-huh. Um, I was trying to do horror. Can you do it, you guys could you do it again? <laughs> I, I yeah. Got, yeah. Okay. I, that looks like shock and awe. Yeah. 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 yeah they were Slack shocked jawed. and terrified. Slack jawed. So I dismissed the children. Some of them were crying. I think one little boy peed his pants. But a few of them came up to me afterwards, and I'll never forget it because this one little girl sticks her finger in my face and she goes, That was good. <laughs> and I said, What? And she said, You should make that into a book. And so I did. So that story <laughs> became the first chapter of A Tale Dark and Grim. And look at that, and that girl has set you on the path. She has. She really has. <laughs> I actually I, I saw her on the street a couple of years last year, actually, and it was very exciting to see her. And I told her that story. And she said, I remember that. And I said, Was the story really that horrifying? And she said, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Graham, is this next question from your kid? Yeah, this one's from my son, Rowan. You want to ask All it, right. Sure. Rowan wants to know if you prefer Grimm, Grimmer, or Grimmest Fairy Tales. That's a good question. So most kids, well, to help the audience understand, if you listen to the podcast, they are rated. Each episode is rated Grimm, Grimmer, and Grimmest. And the Grimmest is obviously the most gruesome and scary. Honestly, I prefer the Grimmer ones mm. grimmest can get very dark and i have to be, i'm often worried about the children that i'm telling the story to while i'm telling it mm. grim are fun but grimmer for me has got the perfect balance of hilarious and really messed up <laughs> do, so when you're thinking about this do you, have you ever not done a story even in the grimmest category yeah there was one story that i wrote we prepared and then I work with Pinna, who's a wonderful company that helps me make the podcasts. And they said, this one is too freaky. And you know what? That makes me a little bit sad. But if ever uh, you meet me in person, like if I come to your school or you go to maybe a wonderful bookstore that I visit, <laughs> hint, hint, uh, maybe I'll tell you the story that never made it on Grim Grimmer Grimmer's. If you ask nicely, I'll tell you. That sounds pretty fun. But, but like, be prepared to make the face that he was making a second ago. <laughs> you will definitely make that face because it's Grimmistest. It's definitely, it's beyond Grimmist. It's Grimmistest. All right, continuing on this theme, um, Jackson wants to know about the making of the podcast. So he asks, what school do you use? I imagine that's which school are you visiting? And is making the podcast hard? Both great questions, Jackson. So um, in the first two seasons... We, uh, I visited um, a school in Brooklyn and a school in Manhattan, one called Brooklyn Friends, another one called um, Manhattan Country Day. I think I got the name of the second one right. Anyway, two schools, one in Brooklyn, one in Manhattan. Maybe we edit, <laughs> edit out those two names. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And what we started doing was inviting kids from all over the country and all over the world to Zoom in with me. So seasons three... And season four, which is coming out in the fall, I actually, we recorded over Zoom. And there are kids from Canada and Arizona and New York and everywhere. Um, So, uh, yeah, at first it was in a classroom and now it's remote. And is it hard to do? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, one of the hardest parts is taking these cool old grim fairy tales. But then, really, I do a lot of rewriting so that they are maximally awesome. 
And that, that's the hardest part. And then once it's recorded with the kids, that's super fun. But then I have to record it again to make sure it sounds just right. And that, um, that takes a lot of takes to do it over and over again. So it sounds just right. So that part's that, that can be hard. Have you ever, I mean, is there any way you could do it without, I guess, like the kid live? Uh, it would be way less fun yeah. because I mean, the kids are, I mean, they're laughing, they're screaming. I love yeah. when they scream. Um, but yeah. also they heckle me, you know, like there's one yeah. episode where like there's a blue dwarf and this kid goes, you mean a Smurf? And I'm like, no, it's not a Smurf. It's a dwarf. And a blue dwarf and she was like i'm pretty sure that's a smurf and then every time the blue dwarf came up for the rest of the episode she goes it's a smurf and i was like it's not a smurf and that just goes on and they're like we can't make that up that's just kids being yeah. annoying right. so it's yeah couldn't do it without them <laughs> yeah that's awesome uh lucy wants to know if you've ever written a story where the ending turned out to be different than you originally thought it would be that's a great question lucy the answer is almost every time so especially when I'm writing my books, I always make an outline. I always know what I want to happen in the book before I start writing. And as I write it, I follow the outline. And then just about every time the outline changes, I get halfway through and I'm not enjoying writing it anymore. Some people say like, oh, I get writer's block and I don't know what to write. But I usually think that writer's block is actually not that you don't know what to write, but that you don't want to write what you were intending to write next. And you just can't make yourself do it because in fact, you don't really want to, you're not excited by it. So whenever that happens, when I'm working on a book, I change where it's going. So almost every one of my books has a different ending than the one mm. I intended. Okay, this brings up a question for me. This is just me following up on that, that good question. Is there a kind of story that you have never written? It could be a genre or something that you still want to write. You know, maybe you want to write a cowboy story or something like that. You've written something about the middle ages. Maybe it's like a star Wars ripoff. <laughs> yeah. Is there something that you just would love to write that you haven't gotten around to yet? Well, um, in fact, I'm in the middle of revising a book where that was exactly the situation. So the books mm. that I love to read most, um, on my own, uh, the grown up books that I love to read most are spy novels. And so I have finally written a spy novel, which I'm revising right now. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, so I see, uh, David, you, you got excited about spy novels. Yeah, I don't know if, that's like you, my favorite. Really? So oh, yeah. are you a fan of uh, the adult author, John le Carre? You read oh, absolutely. Books? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he is a great inspiration to me. I even wrote to him once. It's, I think, one of the only fan letters to an author I've written as an adult. I write to authors mm. sometimes, but not like, you know, Dear Mr. Le Carre, I'm nervous to write this to you, but I really, you know, and he wrote me back a really wonderful letter. So oh, that's cool. This book is inspired in part by the kind of spy novels that he writes, but it's for kids. Mm. Um, and it um, is also inspired by a family friend of ours. So when I was growing up, we had a family friend who was part of something called the Kinder Transport. The Kinder Transport was when Jewish children were taken out of Nazi Germany in 1938 and 1939 right before World War II started. And they were sent to England um, where they were placed with uh, families in England and their parents were left behind. So mm. this is the story of a brilliant young boy, brilliant young man, a 12 year old boy who gets placed with a, a British family who works in British intelligence. And these are a mm. real British family who really existed, really did work in British intelligence, who really did take in a kid from the kinder transport. And he convinces them to send him back into Germany as a spy. Um, they have a reason for sending him back. He has a mission. 
but he has his own secret mission that mm. they don't know about. And in addition to that, he has two kobolds, which are like goblins that have appeared on his shoulders and they're talking the whole time while he's going through this uh, spy novel. So it's like a spy novel and then they're constantly kibitzing like uh, Statler and Waldorf, those two grumpy Muppets <laughs> in The Muppet Show. It's <laughs> amazing. So wait, when is this coming out? Uh, it won't, unfortunately, it won't be out until fall 23. I'm revising it right now. So not this coming fall, but the next fall. But you finished it. I finished, finished the, first the first draft, draft. of it. Yeah, the yeah. problem with yeah. the first draft is that it's twice as long as the longest book I've ever written. So we're <laughs> going to have to do some cutting. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get so, you just the best parts, I promise. We'll leave all the best parts in there. Well, this, I mean, this all like, um, we have some questions about writing um, that some of the kids put it, put in here. And there's, uh, let's do this one first, because you mentioned John Le Carre. Asher wants to know, was there an author who inspired you to start writing? So you're saying that he inspired that story. Is there anybody else, or maybe it's just him, that inspired you to start writing in the first place? Well, certainly the person who really inspired me to start writing in the first place was that second grade girl who stuck her finger in my face. But the <laughs> author who I have always been, the author who I've always been most inspired by, whose style um, and books inspire me the most and have always, since I was a kid, is Raul Dahl. Mm. Uh, Matilda is, I think, one of my favorite books of all time. The BFG is close behind it. Raul <laughs> Dahl does this combination of creepy and hilarious that I really love. Uh, the Witches fit in that category too. I, in fact, read The Witches with a second grade class but we only got about 50 pages in before one evening as I was settling down with my tea to relax after school, I got not one, but two phone calls from two different parents saying that their children were having nightmares. And would I please stop reading the witches to them? And I did, but it just made me love the book all the more. So <laughs> I love Raul Dahl. That, that doll's a great one. Graham, should we ask about this um, writing routine one? What do you think of that one next? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Uh, he just deleted it from our document. <laughs> uh, no. Okay, so uh, we have a question here, except it only says writing routine, question mark. <laughs> however you want to. Yeah, exactly. Open-ended. Yes. Uh, Moving on. Okay. <laughs> My writing routine is, I do have a very strict writing routine. I think most writers that I, knew, that I know do have a very strict writing routine. It can be hard to make yourself write every day unless it's just what you do. And when you have a writing routine, um, it's almost like if you uh, run every day, or let's say you expect to have recess after lunch every day. If one day you don't get to have recess, let's say it's like pouring rain or something, your body feels weird, right? Mm. Your body is like ready to run around after recess. And so if you can get your body and your brain expecting to write every day at the same time, it makes it easier to do it. So for me, my writing routine is, I help my daughter get on the school bus and then I walk down into the park that's near my house and I open up my computer and I sit in the park with a mug of, of tea and I write for two hours, maybe an hour and a half if I'm tired, two and a half hours, three hours. If it's a great day of writing. That's my routine for writing each day. And I do it even in the wintertime. So um, I look like a very, I look like the weirdo in my neighborhood. I have like my uh, big blanket with fleece and a huge hat like a big Russian like fur hat and I sit there in the <laughs> snow and I write for at least an hour if it's too cold to stay out for longer than that. Do you have those gloves with you where there's no fingers so that you sure fingertips so that you can pairs. I have a winter set and a spring set. Uh, oh, okay. so yes. Perfect. Yes, exactly. 
I'm just writing all of this down so that I can um, yeah, let you inspire a, a character in a book that I'm going to write about <laughs> an author who does this. That's great. <laughs> so what I'm I hearing... Also, yes, great. Yeah, the importance of setting habits or developing habits, habitual. Yeah, it does. It helps yeah. a lot. And I also, when I'm writing, um, you also have to sort of be willing to not be embarrassed. I mean, I know that I should be embarrassed. My wife is very embarrassed by me, but when I'm writing, I not only, I you know sit out there in the snow or whatever, but I talk to myself when I'm writing. And if something is funny, if I don't laugh out loud, it's not funny enough to go in the book. And if it's supposed to be scary, if I'm not scaring myself, it's not scary enough to go in the book. And if it's supposed to make the reader feel a lot of emotions, if I don't cry while I'm writing it, it doesn't go in the book. So I'm sitting there in the, the winter with my gloves with the holes and I'm laughing and crying by myself on a bench. Um, and it looks like I have a lot of problems, but I get paid for these problems. And it's a, I wouldn't have it any other way. You get to share them with other people. <laughs> I sure do. Sometimes they even pay me to share them. It's really <laughs> So um, there's a question here from the Jansen kids. And this is, a, this is a really interesting one. It says, how do you feel... Well, it's a two-parter. How do you feel about the modern movement to tell the backstories of villains? And then how do you feel about stories like The Little Mermaid being changed to have happy endings, um, sometimes at the expense of like the warning at the end of it? So I guess the two-parter. Modern movement to tell villain backstories and then changing stories to have happy endings. This is such a fascinating and sophisticated question. Uh, Jansen family, well done. Okay, so two-part question, right? Let's do the second part first. I have always had a huge problem with changing the real fairy tales or the real traditional stories to make them cute and sweet for little kids. Um, It bothers me for two major reasons. First of all, because um, it robs those stories of their meaning, like you suggested. Now, I don't really believe that fairy tales, for the most part, um, are warnings. I think a lot of times we say that, oh, Little Red Riding Hood teaches children not to stray from the path. Maybe, um, but actually Little Red Riding Hood is a really good story about a lot of other feelings. I mean, for example, uh, Snow White. Um, Does Snow White teach you that, you know, your parents want to kill you with poison apples? No, I mean, like, Snow White is about complicated feelings that you actually probably have towards your parents, maybe that they even have towards you and how you navigate those feelings. When you make these stories sweet and happy, you take away those meanings in a way that I think is terrible. Mm-hmm. And then the first part of the question was what? <laughs> what How was do you it? feel about the movement, the, the sort of modern movement to tell the villain backstories? Oh, yes. I, you know, so I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with it. But I think it comes out of the uh, fear of telling stories that we don't know already. Everybody knows like seven or eight fairy tales, right? Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Little Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel, Rapunzel, Rumpelstiltskin. Did I say Hansel and Gretel already? That's like seven, eight. That's about it. There are hundreds of incredible fairy tales that people don't know. And so there's a desire to take those same seven fairy tales and tell them from every single perspective. When instead of telling Cinderella from 12 perspectives, and have 12 different, you know, books slash movies about Cinderella, why don't we try telling Hans my hedgehog? Why don't we try telling the farmer's clever daughter? Why don't we start try telling the jaws of the mermaid? These stories will make your hair stand up. They will make you laugh. They might make you cry a little bit. They'll definitely make you scream a few times. 
And so when I tell these kinds of stories to kids, usually their reaction is, why did grownups keep these stories from me for my whole life? So yeah. that's, that's my response. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Thank you. Okay, so um, <laughs> Grim Fairy Tales seems to be kind of your corner uh, of the fairy tale world. That's uh, right, Chris Colfer. Back off. <laughs> <laughs> when, if we ever get Chris Colfer to come on, then we can. <laughs> we'll then secretly have you parachute into that episode. <laughs> yeah, and then you can use a, that audio clip. Just throw it in there in the middle. Colfer. Yeah, uh, one-on-one matchup. We're gonna Sounds lead. Good. We're gonna lead with that audio clip. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Hans Christian Andersen, mm-hmm. Andrew Lang, mm-hmm. are these are these um, uh, collectors of fairy tales? Um, are they are they in your wheelhouse? Are you are you are you reading these guys as well? Do you do you have some sort of hierarchy where you, where you think Grimm is the top one? What draws you to Grimm? more than the other ones? That's a fascinating question. Um, I'm glad you asked it. So um, Hans Christian Andersen is to me pretty different from Lang, Andrew Lang and the Grimm brothers because Hans Christian Andersen mostly made up his own stories instead of collecting them. Mm. And when he made them up, um, he often made them really sad. Um, Mm. I love the Grimm stories particularly because they often are weird and dark and scary, but almost always they are weird and dark and scary in the middle. But ultimately there is a main character that you identify with who triumphs in the end. And personally, that's the kind of story I like. I think these fairy tales are about being a young person and growing up. And our goal in growing up is to grow up is to become wiser and stronger and, and just make it through childhood. So Hans Christian Andersen writes a bunch of stories where you don't make it. And I'm not as into that. So I do love the Lang stories. I happen to have gotten deeply into Grimm first, um, but yeah. I think Lang is great. And I fairly recently discovered another collector of fairy tales who was only discovered himself, rediscovered himself about 15 years ago. I talk about him in the third season of Grimm, Grimmer, Grimmest. His name is Franz Xaver von Schönwert. You guys want to say that? No. Okay. Franz, Franz what? Franz, Franz Xaver. Xaver? Xaver, like Xavier, but it's the German way. Xaver, okay. Xaver von, von Schönberg? Schönwert. 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 So, yeah. Okay. Anyway, this guy lived uh, around the same time as the Grimm brothers. He's sort of at the end of their career. And he collected fairy tales too. Hmm. Unlike the Grimm brothers, he didn't edit them and make them... The Grimm brothers often edited and even retold the stories that they were told to make them better in their view. Hmm. Um, Von Schoenwert was more of a sort of historian and collector. So he just collected them. But his stories, we didn't know that they existed until about 15 or 20 years ago when uh, a young woman, a a master's student in Munich was going through boxes in the library, the public library, the national library there and found a box of, I think 150 stories that he had collected and they're Hmm. super weird. And some of them are amazing. So I've also recently gotten into his stories. Uh, For example, one of my favorites is called the turnip princess about a princess who gets turned into a turnip. Um, It's better than it sounds. I promise. (laughs) The, The, as someone who comes from a German family, the Germans really knew how to tell 
know how to tell some weird stories. Yes. Did you hear weird stories growing up? Well, we read a lot of these kind of fairy tales. So yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And when you hear them, my grandmother was grew up in Germany and didn't live here until she was an adult. And so when you hear them being read to you or told in that German accent, it also adds to it. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I would love that. We should do a, we should do a special podcast where your is your grandmother still with us? She's not. Oh, I'm sorry to hear but, that. Um, we, we could probably a, yeah, a special podcast where you imitate your grandmother's <laughs> voice and tell a story in her accent. I think that would be amazing. That would not be amazing, but um, <laughs> or, or at least it wouldn't be amazing in the way that you are hoping for. <laughs> I'm hoping for any kind of amazingness. I, I don't care which kind. I've got uncles that could definitely do that, though. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, my uncles totally could do that. Graham, should we ask a couple more? And then we've got, Adam, we've got a quiz for you. And it's a very, um, very serious quiz that you're probably going to fail if we're being honest. But um, <laughs> Graham, Graham's, uh, Graham's the keeper of the quiz. So we'll get to that in a second. What do you think? Two more questions in the quiz, Graham? Yeah, go for it. All right. Madeline and Aubrey would like to know how you keep track of all your characters. Do you have like a character profile of some kind? Huh. You know, I probably should. I don't. Um, in fact, characters is one of the things I find hardest to do. I love telling stories. I love the scary parts of stories. Um, but keeping track of all the different emotions of all the different characters and their arcs is something that I'm only getting better at as I get older. I feel like hmm. my brain is getting a little bit stretched out by all of the writing that I do. And so there are new pockets to keep these characters in that I can hold on to. Um, so I, maybe I need a system. But um, I don't have one yet. Um, but that's a good idea. Maybe I'll get one now. Thanks for the Seems to be working for you. I mean, yes, but Your I'm always trying to get better. My books are always changing. So uh, it's, a, it's a good idea. So I'm going to try. Graham, you want to do this one? Or you want, are you preparing for the quiz? Um, no, the quiz is prepared. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I'm on top of that quiz. Uh, let's ask this one from Eliana. Because I, I, I like I this thinking. question. And I think we should maybe use it going forward. It's, um, yeah, it's a great one. All right, Adam. We'll change the name for each one, though. We won't, we won't say Adam. <laughs> uh, Adam, if you had to choose one thing to save from a burning house, not a person or a pet, what would it be? Okay. Um, I also think I should rule out my computer where all of my writing is, right? Like, forget that. Um, I mean, this is a boring answer, but the notebooks with my writing in it. I have written down so many ideas, so many things, so many stories that are, are my life, right? Other than the people who live in my house, my wife and my daughter, my life is the stories that I live in hours and hours every day. If I were to lose that stuff, I would feel really sad. So I'd probably have like flaming notebooks falling out of my arms as I fell down the stairs out of my burning apartment. <laughs> wow. Was that the kind of image you were looking for? Uh, maybe we're no, that's actually that great. Question. I'm going to okay. write this one down to <laughs> lots of ideas for so the, the first the writer is in the park with his fingerless gloves and his Russian winter hat. Next thing you know, he's running down the stairs, burning stairs, like the conflagration in Jane Eyre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with notebooks, burning notebooks falling from his arms. You can call exactly. it Frozen Tears and Burning Stairs. <laughs> that's a good title. Yeah. At least that's a chapter title, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Graham, quiz time. Oh, gosh, I'm super nervous. Good. You, um, you definitely as, should be. Yeah, as it's going to be so hard. As, as David alluded, um, or explicitly stated, uh, <laughs> we, we, we like to um, offer our guests a uh, tailored quiz. 
Now, uh, sometimes the quiz is about um, something related to their life or their work. Um, this one you could call... <laughs> what can I call it? Whoa, hold on one second. <laughs> That's funny. His dog has not barked one time this season. And then right then... The timing was perfect. <laughs> It's weirder because I don't have a dog. That's the weird part. <laughs> <laughs> you would be hard-pressed to even call this quiz tangentially related to Mr. Adam Gidwitz, but I am going to call it tangentially related, and we are going to move forward. This is That's what I named my child, too, actually. Tangentially related. Tangentially related Gidwitz? Yeah. Sorry, Graham. Perfect. No, this is you're, you're right on tempo here. Uh, <laughs> this is a blank, blanker, blankest quiz. Perfect. I'm I'm not going to do any more explanation than that. Yeah, just, this is roll, roll it, roll. Question sound. one: Lim Limmer Limmest. Okay, which one <laughs> of the multi-limbed creatures of the natural world would you rather have as a magical guide on a quest? through the dark and the dangerous. And you have to defend your answer. Option A, an ornery but honest octopus. Mm. B, a shrewd and tricksy starfish. Or C, an eccentric and incredulous millipede. Go. Well, certainly the ornery yet honest octopus. I prize honesty. Um, I also generally trust people who are a little bit ornery. I feel like they're giving me them their true selves. And octopuses are incredibly smart. Um, also, if you've seen uh, Finding Dory, the underrated sequel to Finding Nemo, there's a wonderful and ornery octopus in that. And if he could, be, if I could be his friend, I would be. Great answer. If you would have picked, if you would have picked the eccentric millipede, we would have stopped. Yeah, yeah I mean, what yeah. Uh, those are gross, and yeah, I know it was really like wanted. a test to see, <laughs> like. <laughs> I don't even want to know what eccentricities he has. I do not care. <laughs> Question two. Prim, primer, primist. <laughs> all right. Primrose flowers uh, come in all sorts of kinds and colors, typically known by their and beloved in their pale yellow form. These flowers have long been favored by poets and writers alike. In fact, the primrose is the second favorite flower in Britain behind the bluebells. So here's your question. I have no idea where this question is going. I can't even predict. I know. <laughs> what, would it take, what would it take to knock those pretentious bluebells off their high horse and get the primrose up into that premier spot where it belongs? Go. Oh my goodness. You told me this wasn't going to be hard. Uh well, there's no yeah, wrong I, answer. I don't remember saying that. There is a wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, I can't even picture a primrose. I think I know what bluebells look like. Um, I have to admit, writers who use the natural world very specifically, I admire and envy them so much. I have no clue what any of these flowers look like. What would I have to do to get bluebells knocked off their high horse? I'm sorry. I wouldn't do it. I'm going to stick with bluebells because mm. bluebells, I know what they look like. They're beautiful and pale yellow. Give me a break. Forget it. I'm defending the bluebell. Okay. 
Okay. It sounds to me like you just need to get the Primrose Union fighting against the Bluebell Union and just see what happens. Oh, like I mean, I think that war is underway. Some lobbyists. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's already going, yeah. All right, that that was an honorable answer. We will accept it for now. I'll, I'm still <laughs> deliberating it in my mind. Okay. Do you have an answer? I want to know what your answer is for dethroning uh, Bluebells. You don't get to know that answer. Okay. Because uh, then you'll three. use it. Question three. Yeah, I've got a plan. Um, question three. Tim, Timmer, Timmist. <laughs> they call me Tim. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, there better be a Monty Python. Uh, <laughs> okay, rank these Tims. <laughs> okay. Can't even get it out. I don't know why that's so funny to me. Just say rank I'm, these Tims. I'm, I'm loving sorry. it. Hold on. I love how hard this question is for you to say. I wrote it at 3 a.m. Um, okay, rank these Tims based on which one you would rather have as a next-door neighbor. Okay, A, Tim Allen of Home Improvement mm. and Toy Story fame. Tim Duncan, quite possibly the greatest NBA power forward of all time. Or Tim Burton. Tim Burton, the idiosyncratic and mysterious film director. Okay. Well, uh, I'm I'm very torn between Tim Duncan and Tim Burton. I think I would love to go spend a little time at Tim Burton's house, like maybe like a creepy weekend at his house to see all his mm. weird film paraphernalia, and maybe have some nightmares I never forget for the rest of my life. <laughs> but I, but Tim Duncan is one of the uh, most uh, intellectual and genteel sports players I've ever heard speak, and also he would replace every light bulb in my house even before i asked i'm sure of it um so definitely i would love to live next door to tim duncan also he lives in the virgin islands i think so maybe you'd be living in the virgin islands even better i'm moving there whoa david you just elevated that answer which was already the correct one i I feel like (laughs) tim burton would be a fun next door neighbor for like a day yeah and then you'd get the hedge creations and the noises yeah the fog mm-hmm. and true. all day, every day. But Tim Allen, you know, Tim, the tool man, Taylor, that'd be a nice he, next door neighbor too, but. Cause he's handy. You mean, cause he could like fix yeah. stuff for you. It's yeah. like the actual, like, um, utilitarian answer. But the one know, thing every I, time I heard him do that hog sound though, I think I would just, I would feel like, oh yeah. my God, just, yeah. just stop. Plus the other thing is he never actually goes over the fence. So I don't know that that would actually be that useful. Oh, true. <laughs> All right, all right. This is just confirmation. Tim Duncan, correct answer. Question four. Slim, slimmer, slimmest. <laughs> I was going to try to do a Richard Simmons question here, but... Um, Sim, slimmer, slimmest? We got something else. <laughs> okay. Thought to be the thinnest material, graphene was discovered in 2004, and it is the world's thinnest material. One printed <laughs> sheet of graphene is as thin as a single atom. A-T-O-M. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, coord- the coordinated carbon atoms on, on a sheet of graphene also contain properties to conduct electricity. It's mainly used in aerospace industries and in batteries. I've learned a great deal. Also, I well, knew it wasn't as slim as an atom because Adam has love handles. So that was <laughs> a good answer. So that was a lot of explanation, <laughs> but I don't know why I'm explaining any of it to you <laughs> since you, Adam Gidwitz, are a known graphene hoarder. <laughs> Every time I try to buy an atomic sheet, I am always told that Adam Gidwitz was just here and bought it all. So my question to you, 
What are you doing with all that graphene? I'm concerned and intrigued. <laughs> wow. Uh, what am I doing with all that graphene? I got to call you out on it. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, we're, we, I live in Brooklyn, New York, uh, which is got some of the best pizza in the world. I'm not going to say it's the best, but it's got a lot of really good pizza. So we order a lot of pizza. So uh, we always order more pizza than we can eat. And usually we wrap it up in tinfoil and put it in the fridge. But tinfoil can be very bulky, especially the way we wrap it. And then we've got just like stacks and stacks of tinfoil wrapped pizza. Mm. But what if I told you that instead of wrapping pizza in tinfoil, you could wrap it in graphene. And then you could fit twice as much pizza in your refrigerator. Would you believe me? And would you believe that my refrigerator is full of graphene wrapped pizza? What if you told me that? Um, I would be perturbed. (laughs) Uh, Feel free to feel perturbed. But it's acceptable. Okay, Okay. so I think Adam just got four out of four. Wow. Right, David. Good job. I was pretty sure the bluebell one I got wrong, but okay, I'll take four out of four. Well, I. Fine three. It's my quiz. Uh, (laughs) Okay. You've got it right. Um, So that is the end of the blank, blanker, blankest quiz. (laughs) That was remarkable. I never expected any of that to happen. I loved it, actually, especially the titles of the uh, of the questions. I do wish I could have lived next to Tim from the Holy Grail, though. Um, yeah, yeah. Although, what is your favorite gala? Most yeah. people after the quiz say, I wish these questions were different. <laughs> so <laughs> you're on good standing. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty common. It's a pretty common review. Well, Adam, that brings us to the final segment of this interview. It's our word of the week. And uh, I hope you're ready to um, to prove how well you know the English language because we have we we always have obscure, interesting, unusual words. And the thing is, we have to get this word from the bookstore troll because he stole the stole the word of the week dictionary at the beginning of the season, and we explained it to you already. It's it's a whole thing. Yeah, Graham, are you prepared to journey down to the lair? And negotiate with the with the troll. Um, I am not prepared. I do, I do not want to do this. I've been doing this every week. You heard the last time where I fell down the stairs, um, and then had to had to lick my wounds on the way back up. So I think it's your I did th- turn. I did think that was a little gross. Maybe I should go. I think it's your turn. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm gonna go put on some armor just in case, and I'm gonna head down to the lair, and I'm gonna see what silly, strange, unusual thing the bookstore troll needs this time. So I'll be right back. bookstore troll is um lonely i think i I think he might want to be friends instead of enemies because he asked um he asked for a name he asked us for a name and you know we did talk about this last time right where we asked the kids to send in possible names should we let the kids decide and then and like if i go tell the troll that we'll give him one next week and let the listeners decide you think that would work let's do that yeah okay i'll be right back again
Okay, that works. He accepted that. So we'll have to decide. We have to let our listeners decide. We'll talk about this uh, after our conversation with Adam about how we're going to let the kids decide which of the names we, we're going we're gonna to assign to this troll so we can actually have a, you know, the beginnings of a relationship instead of a, you know, beginnings of a friendship instead of an, uh, you know, an, an enemyship. Is that a word? <laughs> um, all right. So, okay, hold on. I'm going to open this piece of paper up that he gave me. And okay. All right. The word of the week. Are you ready, Adam? I'm so ready. Okay. The word of the week is abecedarian. This is how you spell it. A-B-E-C-E-D-A-R-I-A-N. Abecedarian. We're going to take however long it takes to write this word down. Then we'll be back in a second to share what our definitions are. As usual, Graham will go first, then I will go, and then we'll give the guest of honor the uh, the three spot. So Graham, what do you think abecedarian means? Uh, well, this is going to be a little embarrassing because I'm pretty sure you, have, you all have the same answer that I do because this is very <laughs> well known. Uh, but an abecedarian, uh, those are the residents of abecedaria, which is the self-proclaimed sovereign state that seceded from Sweden in the 70s, and they just listened to 70s pop. All the time. Uh, yes, I've heard of this place. I, I had sworn never to think about it again, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what you got, well, David? I, I think that an Abbasidarian is a creature from a lagoon that refuses to be friends with you unless you bring them treats and otherwise terrorizes your grandparents. Mm. Oh, cruel. Yeah. So Very specific. You need to really make sure that you appease the Abbasidarians. Adam, what do you think Abbasidarian is? Well, I mean, this is a word that I know. So, right, an octogenarian is 80 years old. A nonagenarian is 90 years old. An abecedarian is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z years old. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like maybe there's something to that. So I'm just going to, okay, I'm going to unfold the answer here. Well, you know, you're not that far off, to be honest with you. An abecedarian is a person who is currently learning the alphabet. That's, That's an, an adorable word. That's a so person cute. who is, I guess, a kindergartner, you know, like a preschool, kindergarten, first grader, you know, in that range. Abbasidarian, a person who is currently learning the alphabet, which now that I think about it is appropriate because of all the things that we've talked about in this conversation. So <laughs> this far. is the first time we've ended the podcast on a wholesome note. <laughs> <laughs> and may it be the last. <laughs> exactly. Well, just to overturn that, Adam, before you go, would you be willing to challenge one of your writer friends to come on this podcast and bear the slings and arrows that you just had to endure? I challenge you. Who am I challenging? Whoever you want. Us? Oh, <laughs> I challenge one of my writer friends to come on this podcast. Which writer friend should I challenge? Um, have you ever had Grace Lynn on the podcast? We have. Yeah. Okay, so that's not going to work. All right. Have you ever had... Um, do you do all ages, like YA middle grade, or are you mostly middle grade? Mostly middle grade, but we've done some older too. Have you had Sayantani Dasgupta? No. Sayantani Dasgupta is the author of The Serpent's Secret and um, uh, the Kiran Mala series, Kiran Mala and the Kingdom Beyond. She's amazing. And that series is awesome. That's a great recommendation. Thank you. And also a great challenge. Yes. So it's it's in balls in her court now, I think is what we're saying. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, She'll listen and then she'll call you guys. Exactly. You just send us a pigeon or something. Adam, thank you so much. We know you're busy. uh, So thank you for taking some time with us. We really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Um, Except for the quiz. That was disorienting. Thank you.
Okay, Graham, it's time to give the answer to last week's riddle. And I believe you said that a lot of kids got this one right. And then, Graham, you're going to share a new riddle for next week. Yes, indeed. I had a riddle about a rooster and an egg and which way it would fall off the, the peak, the gable of a home. What did people say the, the answer was? And uh, were they right? Okay, so um, as everybody who wrote in correctly said, roosters... They don't lay eggs, um, yeah. so the it's egg would not roll. The, the egg would not roll anywhere because hens lay eggs, not roosters. And and we all know that every hen, being a good hen, would never lay an egg anywhere that it could roll off a roof. No, of course not. So that's just like that's like against hen instinct. So Graham, we got a bunch of right answers. I think you said so. We're gonna enter all those right answers into our contest. We're at the end of the season. We're going to draw a winner from all the right answers throughout the season. Uh, and you get a chance to win a book bundle. Graham, let's give them this week's riddle so that we can have more entries into that pool of, of winners who might be able to uh, earn their way to that book bundle. For your consideration. Okay. A man. His name okay. is Julian. Like the calendar? Just like the calendar. <laughs> okay. Julian, you know, he lives in a nice nice little house, nice small town. Okay. Let's say he's 31 years old. Okay. He's got a, a a big black beard, like the pirate. Okay. Big black beard. But Julian the, the pirate. Is, okay. Thing is, Julian loves to shave. Okay. In fact, Julian shaves up to 25 times a day. He does love it. But he still has a beard. Oh. How is this possible? Oh, that's a good one. This is tricky. You know what? I think I'm going to need a whole week to think about this one. Well, you have a whole week. Oh, oh, great. Great. That lines up well. Perfect. Uh, If the kids think they know the answer to this, what should they do, Graham? They should write us in at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Perfect. And as I said, when you do so, if you get the right answer, you'll be entered into a pool of the winners this season from which we will draw a winner to win a book bundle. So again, if you think you know the answer, email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com with what you think is the correct answer. Graham, that brings us to the end of the eighth episode of season three of Withy Windle. This has been a fun time. I would, I would assess this as a good time. I would second your assessment. Um, I am going to go take another multivitamin, drink some more tea, uh, and I'm assuming um, you Sip are going to go... gunpowder. I'm assuming you are going to go eat some more junior mints. No, I said I was going to limit myself to three. Oh, okay. I'm, gonna make my, I'm probably going to make myself some soup, though. Uh, junior mint soup, yes. Well, I had never considered that, but now the world of possibilities has been opened up to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the inspiration. And thanks also to SD Smith for sponsoring this season of Withywindle. Remember that when you use the code Withywindle at greenwriter.sdsmith.com, you can get three free lessons and you can get $10 off the program. So if you want to be a green writer, if you want to be a writer who is going and growing, be sure to do that. And again, that's code W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E, Withywindle, for the first three lessons free and $10 off. 
Also, thanks, of course, to our very special guest, Adam Gedwitz, for coming on the podcast. You might remember from the beginning of the episode, I was trying to understate how excited I was to talk to him. And I, and I kind of got a little little carried away with that. But uh, we, we really did have a great time chatting with him. And we hope that you will check out his books and his podcast and his Netflix show and all the great things that he is doing. With that, for Graham Pittman, I'm David Kern. Till next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.